Feeling kind of left out at work on Monday morning? Check out The Barf, breaking news, acquisitions, research, and funding. It's a look back at the week that was so you can prepare for the week that is. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Hey, what is going on, people? Ryan Leary here from Work Defined. You're listening to Inside the C-Suite, where we talk with executives and founders to learn the story behind their success and failures. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt like you're the only person up at 3 a.m. trying to figure out what your next step is or if success is like right around the corner, but you're not sure if you should hang it up or keep going? It's all good because today we speak with Tony Jamoose who is the CEO and founder of Oyster HR. Tony is a serial founder. He's had a number of exits And just like many of you have or are experiencing right now, he's seen the highs, he's been hit with the lows. This is what we talk with Tony about today on this episode. So if you feel like you want to pull your hair out, you're not sure where to go next, do you need funding, is your culture banged up, where's the work-life balance, keep listening because this is the episode you'll want to save. You're listening to the Inside the C-Suite, brought to you by Work to Find. It's William Tinkup, Ryan Leary. We're joined by Tony. Tony, you're going to have to pronounce your last name because I don't want to butcher it. I don't want to be that doing guy. It. Yep. I don't want to be that guy. We've been on a podcast before, so you'd think I would actually know this. Okay, it is what it is. Um, Tony's the CEO of Oyster HR, simplified as Oyster. Um, he's actually joining us today uh, from Lebanon. And uh, so this is going to be a lot of fun. We're going to learn. So for the audience, as you're watching this and listening to this, we're going to learn about Tony's journey, how he became CEO, what he's learned by being CEO, etc. So why don't we start with Oyster? Tony, first of all, pronounce your last name, because uh, I just want to say famous. And that's not right. So uh, say your last name. Give us a little bit about Oyster. Thank you. Guys. Thank you guys for having me again. Really always sure. great to be on the show here. And uh Look, my last name is Jamous. Uh, it's, uh, it's Arabic, actually. Uh, I'm also French, and uh, but you know, in the in the English world, people say Jamus, which is fine with me, and and actually, it's even more memorable. So I'll I'll I'll, I'll accept. <laughs> <laughs> You've been called worse, is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you? Well, let's talk about the the genesis of Oyster. How'd you how'd you come up with this idea? How'd you start it? Yeah, so uh, it all started years ago. It's it's imprinted in my heart to to do oyster. It's part of my purpose. And how I got to realize this is I had to first start my first company uh, twelve years ago. Uh, was an API business and a company called Nexmo. Uh, that company uh, was very successful. Grew to hundred million of revenue in the five years. When pu- I took it public in mid two thousand sixteen. By doing a reverse merger with a company called Thonage on the New York Stock Exchange, and was acquired by Ericsson for six point five billion dollars. So we, we, that was that was that was good. And uh, and and that in that company, we we hired people in forty countries, and I was able to not only realize how difficult it was, but also how powerful it can be 
to hire people from all over the world and change people's lives, specifically in emerging economies. So I left that business. I took some, uh, I took a year and a half off, uh, a sabbatical year, where my uh, my goal was to uh, find out what I'm going to do next. Uh, but also, I wanted to, I was committed to my well being. I wanted to, I was committed to making sure that whatever I do next, I don't want to burn out anymore. Uh, my previous business was like hyper growth business, was very hectic. Um, and I also wanted to uh, build something purposeful and meaningful that connects with how I want to see the world changing. Uh, so uh, towards mid-2019, I, I was ready to start a new business in the same industry of my previous company, in the communication, programmable communication API space. Uh, I had investors lined up for it. <laughs> and uh, And I also wanted this company to be hiring from everywhere because I believed in this distribution of talent and distribution of opportunity. And I was, research I was researching, how can I do this at scale? And I couldn't find a solution to that problem. And towards November 2019, I was doing this uh, intense mental health retreat with my coach for like three days. Uh, we've been preparing for this for months. And uh, part of the intentions I had was to clarify my purpose, why I'm here in this world. And at the end of the retreat, it was very crystal clear for me. I had to drop my, my other idea with the investor lined up and start Oyster. And my, my coach told me, hey, don't take any important decision in the next 10 years. In the next 10 days. Uh, the next day, I went and incorporated Oyster. <laughs> and never looked Six back. hours later. Yeah. Six <laughs> hours later, I was on, 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 on the service online in the U.S. incorporating my Delaware company. Yeah. It was called the Anywhere Corp, actually, before. Right. Oh, cool. Uh, and yeah, it was a cool name. Yeah, investors, investors loved it. Uh, and so, and this, this is kind of how Oyster started. It was a purpose-driven, it was not only a, a mind-driven business, it was also driven by the heart and, and my purpose because, you know, coming myself from an emerging economy, a failed state, Lebanon is a failed state. I had to move to France. Uh, when I was a teenager to study computer science and essentially search for better opportunities, I, uh, I felt that uh, uh, when, when I went to France, actually, I realized that the world, uh, like the problem is not me. The problem is not right. like because I come from that country, there's a problem in me. Right. Uh, the problem is the world is unequal. That's the problem. And, uh, and and yeah, I felt that I I wanted to build Oyster. It's funny. Someone's talked to me before about like not poverty, but 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 uh, hunger. And so we don't we don't have a hunger problem. We have a logistics problem. Hmm. Like there's parts of the world where they have plenty of surplus. There's parts of the world where there's scarcity. Yeah. And so if we can fix the logistics. Of getting the surplus to the scarcity, we don't have a hunger problem. We produce more enough food for the world. You know, the world produces enough food for the world. It's just not in the right spots. And I don't know if that's true. <laughs> okay, I haven't done the math. However, it feels right. Feels right. Beautiful, Tony. I'm I'm curious. So out outside of Oyster, right? I'm sure we'll come back and learn more about the story, but you've got, I mean, you've got a storied background, right? Like anyone can go research, you look you up and they'll, and they'll see your, your background is fantastic. But 
I'm really curious, what motivates somebody like you? What motivates you to keep going after success, after success, after success? Yeah, so great question, Ryan. And uh, like, you know, I can tell you a lot of things on the surface that are uh, what people would say, like when I'm motivated by making, delivering an impact, uh, being purposeful, uh, uh, connecting with my team, being there for my team, being this service-driven leader, uh, you know, and all these things are true. These things are like on a day-to-day basis, what gives me my energy, right? Um, I was, uh, you know, I was going through a rough time uh, a few, a couple of years ago and, uh, and, I, and, I, and I was like doing this uh, cold water dipping, you know, it becomes, it becomes mm-hmm. very uh, like uh, fashionable these days. I had a friend coming right. from Denmark and he said, you have to try this thing. We do it in Denmark all the time. So, and, and when you go into the water, you actually freeze your thoughts and you can get <laughs> access to sort of deeper, deeper answers. Right. And, uh, so it's, it's like some sort of meditation. Think about it, like a form of meditation. Mm-hmm. And I was there, I was there having a rough time and saying, okay, well, why I'm doing this? And, it popped up in my mind. It's like Christina. I said about Christina, this lady in our in, in the Philippines that we employed. That she used to commute uh, four hours a day. She's a mother of two. She barely could see her children during the week, and now she has freedom and flexibility to work from home. She can be there for them. And this is why. This is what. This is what motivates me. So, but 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 there's a deeper level. Okay, there's a deeper motivation level, and it is about. Um, my self-expression. I have. I feel that there's things that I want to do and I want to say in this world that connects with who I am in this world, and 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 I want to be authentic to myself. I want to be true to myself, and uh, and and this work gave me this opportunity, a platform to 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 get my voice out there. Whether there are people who listens or not, it does not ma- matter. It matters that I can verbalize what is inside of me and that's what motivates me at a very very deep level so in the pre-show i was telling you that i follow you on instagram so i see a lot of your stories and, and reels and pictures and stuff like that and it looks like you know outside looking in, it looks like you're living your best life but it also looks like there's a whole lot it's it's a lot of oyster you know you're meeting people you're meeting customers you're talking about what's going on and evangelizing but it's also, it's like, I don't, I don't think it's a bit like on a, I mean, and I've done a lot of bits. I don't think it's a bit. I think it's actually, this is just you. It's just being recorded. Yeah, exactly. And I think this is like, uh, I, I get, I get, uh, some sort of well-being kick from being authentic. Yeah. Uh, but for living my true self for saying my true voice, uh, for, uh, being aligned with my core values, that just, just. You know, get keep me going, uh, keep me catching the high wave in this world. I'm, I'm curious, and and so I'm going to go to self care route for a moment since we, we've started with well being. I think a lot of people look from the outside in at successful CEOs and co-founders and say they're working 24 hours a day and they're adding three more hours on top of that. How do, how do they do this? Right. AI, AI gave them five more hours. It it just, yeah. And it's, you know, it's interesting because we've been at it for a long time and I, we know a lot of other co-founders have been at it. 
how do you prioritize yourself? One, how do you define self-care? But then how do you prioritize that along with actually being a CEO of how many employees do you have now? 500 plus? 500 plus, yeah. Yeah. I mean, how do you manage that and still your remote, Mm -hmm. your distributed Uh employees and manage your self-care? So how I define... uh well-being and it starts with yourself it starts by being committed to care for your own well-being uh and um and in return you give a gift to others around you as a ceo because if you if they see you and feel that you care about how you feel uh, work at work then they they can mimic that so example if like if i if i receive a message like i got a message over the weekend from Fabrice, my VP Mark, he's new, he just came to the company. And I told him, look, this is a weekend message. I'm not gonna answer you, I'm gonna answer you on Monday. Right. So so uh it takes a little getting used to. <laughs> uh, so because I don't want my weekend, I, I, I don't wanna open my laptop during the weekend. I don't wanna chat about business. I wanna really create this clear delineation between when I work and what I what I don't work. And when I don't work, I don't wanna think about work. Because right. the problem is the mind, the human mind is like we, especially when you're in this high intense work, like your brain is going at a very high speed and you need to break, you need to be able to break, to be able to disconnect. And if you, if you don't have this opportunity to disconnect, then you're going to be caught into it and it becomes some sort of addiction and other people feel that. And they, if you're the manager or the CEO or the leader of, of the company, they're going to also look at you and they're going to burn out too. So if you really want to make no harm to start there, you want to take care of yourself. Right. right. Uh, you want to care about how you feel. Uh, and um, now, now, technically, how, how does it work, right? So, well, first, it's always work in progress. You know, it's like there, I reach a certain balance, I get in balance, and then I try to come back to it. Right. Uh, secondly, is about um, being surrounded by the people that can support you in this. So I have, right. I have my assistant. Uh, she has clear guidelines about my working hours and when I can work and when I cannot work. I don't work in the morning, right? I, I my first caller that's caller that started at two p.m. That's why today I was able to go ski in the mountains uh, in the morning and come back. And now it's uh, nearly ten p.m. and I work till eleven p.m. Right? Right. Uh, and I have frequent breaks in between. I also manage my energy level, right? So. Um, in between Zoom calls or in team calls, I, I, I do push-ups. Sometimes I, I play guitar uh, five minutes. I, uh, I even dance sometimes, you know, just to put music and get this energy flowing outside of my body. Yes, right? I'm going to hold William. He's laughing because yeah. he knows where I'm going with this. In between our calls, you're doing <sighs> push-ups. I might just say dance. Let me see. Shake yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's, <laughs> I'm going to start with the basics first. Yeah. But yeah, but first of all, that's fantastic. And the energy you get, the burst of energy that you get, yeah, it's got to be – I mean, again, it's, it creates the endorphins. It, it gets you moving. It gets the blood flowing. So I yeah. love it. I love it. Continue. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Me continue? Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, yeah, it's true. It's, it's about it's about uh, it's about me today. So, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, and also also like I think you know well being and defining well being as well. Uh, well being is actually also a question of connection with yourself, inner connection, mm-hmm. because 
you know, we, we tell ourselves a story, we create our own reality, right? So we have the opportunity to also tell ourselves a positive story about who we are and how and why we're here. And I work a lot on these stories. I, uh, uh, so self, you know, things like, uh, you know, what's self-connection? You know, self-connection is, thing, is, is a number of things, but it could be summarized for me. It was like self-love, uh, self-compassion, self-forgiveness. Like when I have these thoughts, you know, hey, I'm not a good CEO. I have to forgive myself about these thoughts, right? right. Uh, and uh, because these are not mine. These are coming from my programming, whatever, being in the society. And they are in the way for me to be successful, to be happy, uh, to be fulfilled in what I'm doing. So it's about self-care. It's about self-desirability. Do I, do I desire myself? Am I an attractive CEO to myself? I don't care about anybody else. Right. Uh, and having this, obviously, like, I'm not there yet. It's always a journey work and there's no end point but it is it is about this path of uh, self-connection and, and inner peace because the work we do in the c-suite is is dealing with change dealing with right. challenges right all the time so uh, our work is extremely diverse and extremely challenging so they're going to be highs and they're going to be lows and you want to make sure when there's a low you're emotionally detached from this, this, and you know that you've done everything you can. Uh, because you know, the more you go on the top, the more problem surfaces, right? You always. So if you only see the problem, then yeah. you're gonna start developing a negative story, and and that infects other people. So you wanna keep the story positive all the time. Right. Positive and real, because if they don't, if they don't believe you. If you don't believe yourself and others don't believe you, then you lose, you know, again, you're not as authentic. Um, did you have to go through the experience that you had previous? Like, did you had to go, did you have to go through that to get to the place that you're at? Or do you think people can start there? Like, can mm -hmm. someone, if intentionally, uh, with great intention, I say, can they start where you're at right now? Or do they need to go through, mm -hmm. I say pain. Yes. Yeah, but but you know what I mean. Do they oh. need to go through burnout? <laughs> well, I needed to go through that. Right. It doesn't have to be the case for everybody. That was my journey. So right. everybody has a different path. Uh, and uh, no, I believe I believe that people. Uh, I mean, I know people are there, uh, and even beyond that, they, they didn't have that experience. They didn't have that path. So, wow. Uh, but that was absolutely the, the, the steps that I needed to take to get here. What are your thoughts on, on, on some of these, and I'll call them influencers that are out there, coaches that are out there, and say, grind, 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 right? Like, and I'm going to go back to this. You're working 24 hours a day. Starting, you're starting an organization, you're, and, you're, and you're doing your thing. But as, I know you said you need, to go, you need to go through that on your journey. You needed to hit burnout. What is that level? of of good what's that balance somebody a new entrepreneur mm -hmm. needs to consider assuming they have a family maybe some kids some kids whatever that is how how they manage that mm -hmm. if you like swiping then head over to substack and search up work defined wrk defined and subscribe to the weekly newsletter Look, uh, I mean, on this one, everyone is different, right? So, yeah. Uh, yeah. like for me, for me, uh, I created this company because 
I want to be there for my loved ones, right? I'm yep. here in Lebanon today because I want to be with my father, right? Uh, and then I'm going to go back to Cyprus where I reside to be with my children right. uh, after that. So, so, and I keep, I can keep working. I don't want, like, essentially is I found a way where my work doesn't tax me right. as much as before, right? Right. And uh, um, so, but it could be, you know, it could be like sometimes uh, some people like, I, I, even happens to me today. Sometimes I get absorbed in my work. I love to work. Sometimes I'm working on something that's very exciting for me. That is about you know uh, learning new things or creating something. I love creating th- creating things. I love creating new strategy. When like, I'm doing a strategy document, I disappear for three days and I just do that. And yep. uh, so I, I understand some people are drawn to this, and it might be also they're getting fulfilled by doing that work, and that's totally okay. Because if if it, if your work gives you energy that it's all about energy management to do what you want to do in your life. You don't want to feel that your work is a tax, energetic tax on you. Right. So the question I have is uh, getting back to your move to France. At that point, I would assume in your life, you could have moved to a lot of different places. How in the world did you, uh, you know, pick a place on the globe, close your eyes and put your <laughs> finger down. How'd you pick uh, France out of all the places? Uh, well, unfortunately I didn't have a choice. That was the only choice I have. Right. So, uh, <laughs> you have Canada. Come on. You could have, you could have come to Canada, right? It was by accident. William, William, it was by accident. Like I wasn't even thinking of leaving. And then, and then there was this, uh, I was in my high school and, you know, Lebanon has relationship with France. Yeah, uh, yeah, of course. I was in a French school and there was this, uh, a lycée in France called Saint Mary uh, that that has a relationship with our school, and they take one person a year. And uh, they came and they did a pitch, and they you know three people applied. Uh, I, I applied and I was selected. And my mother said to me, "Well, my mother is like a uh, she's very engaged in the church. She goes to church every day. And she's like Saint Mary. You have to go." <laughs> It's a sign, son. You have to go. We'll see you in four years. <laughs> she, I'm, I'm sure she regret that decision today because you know of she course. loved to be with her child and like. But uh, uh, but you know that was a turning point in my life for sure because what I was the... back home in, in in a failed state post-war Lebanon. Right. There was no yeah. opportunity, nothing. Right, right. What was the biggest? What, what did you, when you went to France? What did you miss the most about home? Outside of your family and things like that, but what did you miss the most? It was a very difficult time actually because I was there in a country I know I know nobody. Yeah. Uh, I had only a cousin. I was there. Uh, I met once every three months, and uh, I had I had no money. Right? Yeah. I had had you know student loans. <laughs> You're a college uh, student. You're not supposed to have money. <laughs> yeah. Uh, where and, where uh, were you, where were you? I'm sorry, in France because we just keep saying France as as it's one place, but yeah, like I know there's a there's, yeah. there's a strong community in in uh, Marseille. Oh, you were mm. in Paris? I was in Paris, yeah. Ah, okay. Okay, okay. Well, from there, what was your first job after college? Uh, look, when I uh, when I did, I actually did my engineering school in France, computer science, and and, and uh, I, I was hired as an intern by Total, the French oil uh, yep. gas company. Uh, but I was put in a basement with a lot of uh, SAP consultant to write code, and we would meet once a week, and it was a very boring meeting. And I like, I was like, this is not for me. Like, I, yeah. 
I just can't do this. Uh, so when I when I finished a six months internship, when I left, I uh, they wanted to hire me mm-hmm. as a full time employee, and, and I uh, but I said we can't hire you because there's a there's a hiring freeze was 2003. Uh, but if you find a service provider, we can hire the contractor. So I went with this uh, letter of intent. I went shopping in Paris for all these. Uh, consultancy company are you going to hire me and i was bidding them over and uh <laughs> uh and actually um i was also working on another opportunity which is a start a startup that is build, building mobile mobile technology software for mobile technology was even was pre-smartphone was pda's personal digital assistant oh wow uh, for for b2b and i was i was i was like obsessed with mobile technology at that time yep. you know i was like yep. really passionate about the stuff but it wasn't an engineering job. It was actually a business development job. I wanted to sell these complex IT solutions on PDAs for, for Fortune 500 companies. Uh, so I took that job knowing that I had no experience with business development. I was half of the salary of what I was able to negotiate with, with this bidding process with Total. You didn't uh, tell your parents that though, did you? You didn't tell me you kept that secret for a while. No, I kept that. But now maybe they don't know. Now, now it's public. So now, now they know. Yeah, no, you're good. Yeah. You, so, but but you could. That's that's one of those things you can't tell your parents at the time. You just can't tell them the truth. You know, that's just one of those things because they'll they'll say, "Hey, you you've earned it. Go go take the higher salary." They're not going to listen to any of the other stuff. So I I understand that. I followed my passion. That's yeah. looking back at this. You know, I was like really. Uh, you know, I was I was passionate of mobile technology. When we were in Lebanon uh, growing up, uh, we didn't have cellular network. Obviously, uh, the fixed line network was broken every day. It was no, so we were using these uh, radio devices, military radio devices, CBs. Right. right. And uh, <laughs> with my neighbor, we were obsessed with this technology. Like we, we like we had this large antennas and big power, and and it, it was. It was, I was like 12, right? So, and we were like chatting with like adults in other regions in Lebanon. Yeah, yeah. It was like a social network before social network. And, uh, and, and, and since then, I was like obsessed with like mobile technology, radio frequencies, you know, and, and so I was really following my, my passion at that time. That's good. What, what, what are you thinking about now? What is Tony, what's on Tony's mind? What's, what's, what's keeping you up at night? Oh. Mm. Well, uh, it is uh, it's many things. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Let's start alphabetically. <laughs> start with the A's. I think first, it's like, uh, I don't think, like, I, I, it's, again, you know, challenges, oh, there's always going to be challenges. So it's really oh, it's, about changing yeah. how I relate to challenges. So like, for instance, one of the commitment I have this year to myself is I want to be a better manager, right? There's a difference between a leader and a manager. Right. And uh, I need to develop my managerial skills because Oyster is getting bigger, is getting more complicated as an organization. And I want to be there for my team as a great manager. Could you so, tell us the difference uh, between uh, the two, just for the audience uh, yeah. edification, just what do you think the difference, or what is the differences between leadership and management? Yeah, yeah. So in this context, you know, leadership is about vision, it's about inspiration, it's about motivation, it's about uh, direction, it's about strategy, um, it's about uh, being there for people, making them feel heard and seen, and and, and helping right. them. Uh, management is about uh, it's about uh, 
uh, supervision, right? And, and, and being there, identifying areas of gaps in, in the team and, and try to transform the, the structure so that you can put the people in the right places when it comes to strengths and weaknesses and surround with the right people and, and get them to deliver things that you want them to deliver in a specific sequence to events, right? Uh, that's I would say managerial supervision, but I'm, I want to I want to start uh, can, strengthening. Can a, can a person be? And since the Renaissance, people have fought the concept that a person can be great at more than one thing. You know, Da Vinci or Michelangelo or some of these people. Yeah. They were the last people that could be great architects, as well as sculptors, as well as painters, as well as whatever. Um, so the question for me is, can can a person? Can you? Be great at both, because it seems like you got leadership nailed. Uh, I don't know, right? You I feel like he's got leadership. Anything. I feel like he's got it nailed. Yeah. Okay. All right. You've got my seal of approval. I shall. I'm going to apply for a job. <laughs> I just love the mm. passion. But, you know, uh, sorry to derail you, but the uh, the idea is okay. So you've dedicated, or you've thought somewhere like okay, okay now this is the year of me really kind of flexing and building the muscle memory and doing those types of things in in management as well as kind of continuing things you do in leadership yeah and i'm excited i'm excited about it actually i'm excited about it because to answer some of your question i think you can be great at anything you decide to be great at right, right? so i believe in this power of uh, of of will willpower i believe in willpower i believe in personal commitment and uh and I believe also in, in, in the story you tell yourself. Like, for instance, I used to tell myself uh, until last year that I, I wasn't a good manager. Okay. Right. And I was having this self-chatter. But actually, I believe I'm better than 80% of managers out there, right. uh, you know, objectively. And I've been getting feedback. So first, I have to stop the negative chatter about right. this. Because it's hurting me, it's hurting my team. And secondly, I want to I wanna have more intentional uh, focus. Uh, on just doing the manager job, and the more I do it, the more actually I started to like it, and uh, I started to get better at it. I had an executive tell me about this particular point one time. Time that for them it comes down to span of control and touch points, and uh, and the and the bit was because they had a similar similar bit. They wanted to kind of really be a better manager for the folks that that, that work with them. They said, "Listen, I've got seven reports." I talk to each of the people at least once a day and we have dedicated time once a week. But, you know, if I just, if it's just a touch point, you know, over text or whatever, but I'm interacting with them, I'm always interacting with them, which helps that when we have those standardized calls, they give me feedback. It's much less about me talking to them about them and they're going, okay, here's a challenge that I have now. Let's kind of solve this algebra. Blah, blah, blah. So for you, what it, Tactically, what did you need to change? Um, so I am more uh, present into the details. That's number oh, one. Oh, cool, cool. Uh, because I was avo in avoidance, in detail avoidance mode. Okay. Right, right, right. right. Uh, and actually, it's not that scary. I realized. Uh, actually. Right. Uh, and uh, I started to be much more attuned to when I'm needed to make a decision preemptively and able to sense that, you know, okay, the team wants to decision right now for me and I'm becoming more decisive much faster. Um, 
and uh, and also I'm uh, like I'm nothing. I'm not letting this managerial task to 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 fester. I'm not procrastinating on them. I'm becoming much more uh, like okay. Well, it has to be done. It has to be done today. Right. Am I gonna let it for next week or for next month? Sense of urgency. Sense of urgency. Like just between yeah. me and myself, right? I'm not letting things slip when it comes to this topic that I thought I should not be doing for some reason. Right. Or that it was handled. I think I think sometimes leaders also think, well, I've hired people to do that. They've got it covered. They're not necessarily thinking about them digging into because it, it is hard, no doubt. Yeah, and, and that's that's I think that's where I was going to go with my next point or my curiosity was you get to a certain level when you get to a certain level. How do you keep yourself from falling into that rut that William just brought up of oh, I've hired these 40 people on my team yeah. to go and get this done? How, how do you stay? How do you stay present? How do you stay involved with that? Involved in what? Right. Just the, in, in making sure the job is, is getting done. You're not too good for the others. Mm -hmm. You've hired them. They moved on. I know mm -hmm. a lot. I mean, I should say I know a lot. I know people who have gotten to a level, and now yeah. they expect the other people to do it, and they've forgotten their actual role in the, or in the organization that they've built. Mm -hmm. How do you prevent that? Uh, look, I think there's also the question of not being attached to what your role is. So uh, right. like you, you're like right. adapting mm -hmm. to the situation and you are driven, like, like, like there are certain events you want to be driven by. Okay, there's certain things you want to control, but, but there's, right. you're going to have to accept. So let me say, say find an example here. Like, so, uh, uh, so I find myself today in a meeting about uh, uh, headcount planning. Uh, okay, that's management, right? right? Headcount planning is management. Mm -hmm. uh, Right. I could have the thought. I could resist. I said, okay, I don't want to be part of this meeting. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, send me an email. Send me an email. Yeah. So yeah. Why, Figure it out. why are you wasting my time? But, you know, I, I, I sense <laughs> right. that the team wanted to be in the meeting for some reason. Like, so, so I did right. not react to this right. and I, I doubled down on my engagement level. You know, I read the documentation ahead of time because, you know, we're a synchronous, primarily a synchronous company. Uh, mm -hmm. I engaged in the content and I was there yeah. in the meeting uh, making decisions when they needed me to make this decision. Uh, because uh, so so this is this is what I mean like not resisting certain things and moving in the flow of things because uh, you um, like you want to be out of the way as much as possible but when mm -hmm. the way calls you you want to respond right yeah because you mentioned decisiveness I'm curious as to your philosophy right now is data versus intuition. Or maybe not versus, but maybe the combination mm -hmm. thereof. How do you how do you become more decisive? Is are you looking at more yeah. data and trying to kind of make sense of the data and then make data driven decisions? Yes. Or are you trusting your gut mm -hmm. intuition intuition? As much as possible, you want data to back what you're doing. Actually, if you think about now right. like business for me is it's a story, it's telling a story that is backed by data. That's what business is. Uh, and so, so data is really important. And uh, uh, I mean, there's some common sense. Uh, you don't necessarily want to fall back to data to to move fast. But right. if you have data available, like you want to use that data, and you want to, but you want to use that data in, in a way that is obviously uh, with high integrity when it comes to the data structure. Uh, you want to make sure that you're you're accurate. But right. you own the story. 
Like at the end of the day, the impact you're going to make right. is not about the data. It's about the story that's delivered to people. And if it's if it's backed by data, it's much more impactful, much more believable. Have you ever gone against the data? Uh, no, I don't, don't lie. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. Come I guess, on now. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Go on yes. now. <laughs> I, I, I'm just. That's such a fascinating thing because I, I agree yeah. with you. Personally, if you have great data, or at least good data, and you can trust it, then to maybe even have an idea and then look at the data and see if it supports it. But on the occasion, yeah. and I'm not talking about commonsensical stuff that's easy. I'm talking about stuff that's really, really challenging. You can look at the data and go, yeah, that's wrong. Yeah. You know, also, this. it's about not questioning the data. Like, let me give you the story. Let me give you what happened right now. What's happening right now at Oyster? You want to, what's inside the C-suite right now? You want to know what's inside the C-suite? Okay. <laughs> so what's so, inside the C-suite? Uh, last year was go. a very challenging year for the whole technology sector, Oyster included. We had to do two reorganization, okay? Uh, one early in the year, one late in the year. Yep. Uh, in January, we did our engagement survey. It went up 2%. Okay? So yeah, now I have this data. What? I'm going to tell a story about it. So I'm going to go build out the story. Why are, right. a story that's based on data, right? And I think about it like if if you if you really decompose what is engagement surveys are, they are a component of two things. One is the confidence in the company, and secondly is the confidence in the leadership team right. and the culture. Okay, just simplify it to that level. Hundred percent. The confidence in the company, uh, how can it go up after last year? Like it's it's going to go down, right? I mean like. We, you know, right. we set, you know, very high targets Hashtag. and yeah. uh, like everybody in technology and then suddenly there's a macro economy. So, uh, so the story is about what my team did and how they operate in a way that is uh, about building trust, is about transparency, is about commitment, is about care to the people. Uh, it's about the mission alignment. We are a mission-driven company. We're a B Corp. Uh, it's about... Uh, uh, enabling people to grow in the business. And it's about the skill that they have to be able to orchestrate two reorgs in the most human-centric way possible and, uh, and, and keep this engagement going. So uh, that's a story I want to tell. And that's a story that I want to believe, and it's based on data. Fantastic. So now you've, you've explained, you've defined this, the entire conversation, which has been amazing, by the way. Um, but how do you define work? in yeah. 2024 yeah we usually tony one of the things we ask people is mm -hmm. if, if somebody came down from mars and they've heard mm -hmm. about this thing called work but they don't know what it is what is it how, how do you describe it how do you how do you actually talk to them mm -hmm. because you have children you know you know the bit too brian and i both have mm -hmm. children how do you explain work to them i mean you know my, my kids if you were to ask them like what does mm -hmm. daddy do yeah, he's <laughs> on the phone a lot <laughs> There's a lot of Zoom calls. It's like that's huh. about it. Yeah, that's 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 what they think work is for me, mm. not for everybody. But that's what they think work is. So Ryan's question is really: it's we're trying to figure. That's why the company's mm. name is work defined. Is we're actually trying mm. to figure out what is work. People, mm. How do people solve this? Like, out? Uh, great question. Great question. I, and I think about it quite a bit. So work. Uh, let's take an example. If I'm an alien coming to the to role and I see people working and say, "What is this thing?" Uh, and I would explain it to this alien, and it's really about uh, 
uh, work is energy, is things you do and things you say, let's call them energies, that are, uh, that vibrates you in a certain frequency that is aligned with your true self, okay? That's the essence of work. That's been doing work for thousands of years. It's only in the last hundred years that it got a little bit confused, right? Uh, I mean, uh, it was commerce with, right. uh, with this uh, system that keeps us, uh, uh, in, well, we need to put, we need to right. put food on the table, right? Like we're, we're living in a precarious world where, where many people sure. have two or three jobs just to uh, make ends meet. And so, and then suddenly you become part of that, that kind of, we caught into that system. Uh, and, uh, and it's kind of extreme, but you also even have in, even in great companies that are amazing brands and fortune 500 companies, like you have work as a tax on humans because you make people commute to places that they don't have to, you get them to work very rigid hours. They don't have to, and they're missing out on great opportunities in the life to be there for themselves or their loved ones. Uh, they are forced to live in places they don't want to live in. And they go to work and they've been told that they're, they suck. Okay. <laughs> and their performance is bad, you know, and especially young generation. Yeah. I mean, yeah. uh, work wow. is a traumatizing experience for humans today because it doesn't take into consideration the true needs of humans, which is to be seen, to be heard, to be fulfilled, uh, to be, to be mission driven, uh, to do something that is meaningful to them. Uh, so, and that's what we're building at Oyster. And, and I think this is one of the core reasons why our engagement levels are going up despite the fact that we did uh, two reorganizations here. Why, why is that need changed? Why, why is there a need? Why, why has that changed over the years for now? You said the younger generation, they need to be heard and understood and to have a mission. Where did that happen? When did that come about? Mm -hmm. I think it's been happening for a long time. It was a gradual change. The, the pandemic also accelerated that, right? Because people realize there's more to work. Yeah than just to commute to an office. Uh, and they question the real value of work. Uh, and you've seen uh, disturbance in the talent market for that. Uh, but it's been going on for a long time. Uh, and it varies by in, from industry to industry. It varies from country to country. Uh, I mean, uh, like, uh, yeah. I mean, I think we lost touch with why we work. I mean, we, we are on autopilot and mm -hmm. uh, Pandemic slapped us in the face. Yeah. Made you think, that's in a good for sure. Way. In a good mm -hmm. way. But last question for me is, uh, what do you look for? Because you're, you're a leader that I'd love to follow. You know, I just love to, I, I, you'd be a guy or a gal, that the being that would be just somebody I'd love to hang out with and follow and do whatever the, do whatever the job is. What do you look for in candidates when you look to hire uh, what are you looking for, mm. uh, in those candidates? Yeah. So, uh, I look for, um, so obviously I look for that experience and it has to be what I call fit for purpose, right? So, uh, they right. have to believe right. that they are uniquely positioned to do the job. To give you an example, my right. CFO, Shannon, she came from, uh, an API business for cross-border shipping. So she knew all this kind of cross-border transactions. And so she knows that she's, she's here for that reason. Okay. My, my chief operating officer, Mark, uh, came, she was, he was chief people officer for 20 years. So we're building an oyster HR platform for HR people led by HR I... professionals. 
we have Miranda, she's our general counsel. She used to run compliance integration with software at Trinet, the largest PO in the US, which is taking like yeah, a little bit. Yeah, so everyone course. has a raison d'etre, why they're here, okay? Uh, secondly is about uh, their... Um, I get it. The podcast just isn't enough. That's all right. Head over to your favorite social app, search up Work Defined, W-R-K Defined, and connect with us. Uh, I wouldn't say that behavior, because behavior can change. Behavior is a combination of who they are, but also the environment, but their ability to change. I look at, are they, are they open to change? How, how open they are, flexible to, to learn new things and be, and be non-reactive to events. You know, are, there, are there practicing some sort of, are, are there, do I feel that they're reactive and they are like uh, ego-driven or, or they are uh, much more, can, they can be aligned with the mission easily, right? And let go anything that is in the way for them to be successful. I think that's another, another aspect. Uh, and thirdly is diversity. Diversity, not only on, uh, I would say, you know, gender diversity, but also like how they, do they think differently, right? Do they come from different backgrounds? You know, do they, uh, uh, and, and that's, that's important because it, bring, it brings a, a rich environment in terms of diversity and make decisions better. It doesn't make them faster, make them better, but make them. Yeah. <laughs> that's fantastic. Ryan, do you have anything else? No, Tony, this has been amazing. One of our best conversations yeah. to date. I've learned 100%. a lot myself. Yeah, this is exactly why we created the podcast. This pod, this podcast in particular is exactly, you're the reason. I, and uh, thank you for your time. I know you're super busy. and just appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you again for having me, guys. That was so fun.